Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. And what does the Lord require of you, now listen, but to do justice? Not just to love justice, to do justice. Justice is not one of God's preferences. It is one of His requirements. There is injustice everywhere, which means there is opportunity for the followers of Jesus Christ to do justice on the earth better than ever before. Long before justice became political, it was spiritual. And right now, unfortunately, the church is taking the devil's bait and turning justice into a political argument. Listen to me. No president, no politician established justice. Our great God did that. And God has made from one blood, one man, every nation of men. You know what that means? You are my brother and my sister. You matter to God. And if something affects you, because I love God and God loves you, what affects you? Now, my friend, my family member, now it affects me. Every believer must be anti-racism. Racism is a slap in the face of the God who created every human and sent his son to die for all of them. Here's God's heart for justice. That each of us would have the opportunity to experience the benefits of it. Why? Because he established it. And it's what his creation deserves. Good morning. How is everybody? It's good to see you. I want to welcome everybody joining us online. It's great to see you from afar. Those of you who call us home and you're not yet back to meeting with us, we miss you. We love you. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to one spot, Luke chapter 18. And I kind of want to give you a little bit of a heads up uh, on how this is going to go. All right. Um, I wish I had a bunch of jokey jokes for you this morning. Uh, there's not a lot of jokey jokes. If you were to compare this to a book of the Bible, it probably would be comparable to one of the major prophets. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah. Um, it's not, um, I wouldn't really call this a sermon. I would call this more of an assessment. And it's a two-part message. We're continuing our series entitled, What Happens Next? We've been talking about justice and this week, we're kicking off a two-part sermon. And before I tell you what the title is, I just want to tell you, I put a question mark on the end of this, all right? So I did not make this as a statement, all right? I'm submitting this to you in the form of a question. And here's the title of this two-part sermon. Is this the church's biggest problem? Is this the church's biggest problem? And here's what we're going to spend the next two weeks talking about. Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Now, hear my heart. This is not aimed at our church. All right? So I, in other words, I didn't get a bunch of bad emails this week, and I just want to come in and just flip the tables and go bananas. Okay? I didn't sleep well last night. I've wrestled with this message. Uh, I want to get to part two because part two 
in my opinion, maybe one of the most theologically romantic messages the Lord's ever let me preach. And so I can't wait to get to that part. But if I were to kind of describe part one and part two, part two is like the hug after the spanking. Part one is like the spanking. And just remember, I'm not spanking, okay? I'm just submitting these things. I'm not coming after you. But I, I really, when I look at the landscape of the uppercase C church, I just wonder if self-righteousness isn't getting in the way of an unbridled move of God on the earth. So remember, my heart is good. Okay? I'm asking a lot of this in the form of a question. And here's the burden I felt like the Lord gave me related to us talking about self-righteousness for the next two weeks. Here's what I felt like he said. When my church is self-righteous, the world does not see their need for my righteousness. This is the big why of us talking about self-righteousness. Okay? And we're going to go through seven of the symptoms of self-righteousness today. And then next week, part two, we're going to talk about how do we overcome self-righteousness. But before we can even talk about how to kill self-righteousness, we have to actually be able to assess where we are personally as a church, as the church, and figure out whether or not we are in a self-righteous place so that we can repent of it and make room for a move of God. Does that sound okay? All right. For those of you wondering how self-righteousness plays into a series on justice and race or racism, let me give you this one-liner to kick it off. If you're taking notes, write this one down. The soil of racial superiority is self-righteousness. The soil of racial superiority is self-righteousness. Now, Luke chapter 18, I love this story. Uh, it's Jesus telling this story, and it's quite direct. And remember, it's to all of us, all right? This is to the bride, not just to any one particular type of person, okay? Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9, says this. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. You're going to see in just a minute, those two things always go together in the church. These people had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Jesus says, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Haven't I heard that a few times right now? Maybe not verbally, but coming out of hearts. I thank God I'm not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. Isn't it interesting that the self-righteous categorizes all the others as cheaters, sinners, and adulterers? I'm certainly, the Pharisee says, not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of all of my income. But the tax collector, Jesus said, stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, please be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you this, Jesus says, this sinner 
not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. All right, I'm going to ask you to do something. We, we did this in the first service. We did this in the 10 o'clock at Tempe. We're going to do this online. I want everybody to get out your device, whether you're taking notes or not, and I'm going to ask you to do something. We're going to do this together as a church. It went very, very well in the earlier, er, earlier services, and we're going to do it again in this service. I want you Get on your web browser, whichever one you use, and I want you to go to the URL www.polev.com backslash gateway life. www.polev.com backslash gateway life. With each of the seven symptoms of self-righteousness that we're going to walk through, we're going to ask a question and we're going to personally be honest about where we are in each area. Now, remember, there is no wrong answer. Okay, don't, don't get ahead. A lot of you have your devices, your, your nose attached to your device right now. Okay, don't get ahead. Don't do it yet. You got to have context first. Okay. Remember, there's no wrong answer unless you're lying. Okay, there's no wrong answer unless you're lying. And here's how I'd ask you to answer each question. Let the Holy Spirit answer for you. When, when we answer these questions together, don't answer based on what you think. Based, answer based on what you hear the Holy Spirit speak. Okay? And we're all going to do it. And we had a, a lot of honesty in the previous two services. So we're going to do it together. Here's symptom number, number one of self-righteousness. Boasting of good works boasting about good works. The Pharisee brags publicly about his fasting and his tithing. Okay, now remember, in this day and time, the Jewish people were only called to fast one time a year. And this Pharisee says, I fast twice a week. I don't fast one time a year. I fast twice a week. 104 times a year, minimum. Possibly 105, adding the one time. I fast twice a week. He's publicly bragging. Have you ever asked another believer how they were doing and they responded with something like this? Man, I was having my quiet time this morning and in hour three, something just clicked. (laughs) Have you ever had somebody answer like that? Hey, how's everything going for you? And they come up with this kind of, it's sweet, but it, it can come across a little bit too religious. Maybe you've answered a question like that and you, you were actually just working in a good work that you're kind of proud of. Now you might be saying, well, I don't boast about my good works. Okay, here's what you need to understand. Boasting is not just a do they hear it type of thing. Boasting is a do you think it type of thing. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 2 says, let someone else praise you, not your own mouth, Preston. A stranger, not your own lips. Boasting about good works always begins with dwelling on them. So here's the question. What percentage of the time do you think about your good works? What percentage of the time? Then you just kind of click and you can, you can go above it. You don't have to go right in the number. You can spread it out, be artistic. You can go below, you can go above. 
You do whatever you want. This is real time right now. Okay, no one's listening to what I'm saying. They're all just touching the number. You can go above the number. You can, aha, okay, there you go. Be our tip. Oh, look, somebody as far as they can go. Good, good. Okay, here, here's what's great. Uh, these are the first two people to say they never, first three, to ever say they never think about their good works. So I'm glad you're here. Uh, you even the rest of us out. Number four, there you go. All right. Good, 100% of the time. Look, I, I just love the honesty. Listen, there's not a wrong answer, but it helps us to understand where we are because I, I truly believe self-righteousness is getting in the way of the whole earth seeing a move of God the likes of which the earth hasn't seen yet. Okay, and you're going to see this the further we go into the symptoms of self-righteousness. Here's the second symptom of self-righteousness, a love for the praise of man. When we're self-righteous, or I should say when we are most self-righteous, we are most in need of the outward praise of other people. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 talks about, it basically alludes to the fact that much of what the Pharisees did was to simply get the praise, the verbal or outward praise of other people. And Jesus even said when he was teaching us how to pray, hey, don't be like those others who go out and pray in front of everybody trying to get a public reward for what they do. Go into a secret place, pray in private to your father, and your father who sees everything will reward and respond. But he says, don't get caught up in this whole everything you need to do has to be seen by others. I remember when I first started working at Gateway in Dallas, Pastor Robert Morris was my uh, direct oversight. I remember him saying to me one day, Preston, if you need me to see every good thing you do, you're not going to last very long here. But if you remember that everything you do, you do unto the Lord. And if I miss something, God will wake me up in the middle of the night and let me know you did it so that I can respond the way he wants me to respond. But if everything you do needs to be seen by me, you're not going to last long here because that's not how God works. Okay, when we operate with a spirit of self-righteousness, one of the ways you know is you're always looking for other people to affirm. Now, affirmation is not a bad thing. But we can have an unhealthy desire for public affirmation. We only boast in order to hear praise. So we connect the two symptoms together. The reason we actually boast is simply just to hear people praise us and affirm us. If you love the praise of man, you will preach merit rather than mercy. The people around you will feel like you are constantly in the middle of a meritocracy where the only way anybody gets affirmation is if they do something good. And then if they do something good, if you do something good, it needs to be publicly addressed. Remember what Jesus said? Don't, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, walk so humbly that you don't need anybody to know what you're doing. Here's, if you struggle with the praise of man, I want you to write this particular one-liner down. If you love the praise of man, you will have to live with the fear of man. Because when we need the praise of man, we exalt their opinion above God's. Which means we are always on eggshells wondering if they're going to respond the way we want them to. 
Okay, do you see how convoluted self-righteousness can make us? We get swept up in all this other stuff. We get away from what actually matters. Proverbs 29, verse 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts the Lord is safe. Here's the second question. What percentage of the time do you hope for compliments? Remember, let the Holy Spirit answer this question on your behalf. What percentage of the time do you hope for compliments? Now, we're going to take all three services and everybody watching afterwards online, put all of them together. We're going to talk about the answers next week as we answer the question, how do we overcome self-righteousness? But this is a helpful way to help us understand and, if nothing else, remind us our desperate need for the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Here's the third symptom of self-righteousness, pride. Pride. This Pharisee walks into the temple, and one of his biggest mistakes was he actually thought he could determine how he would approach God. So he comes in and prays, but he's not really praying, right? He's actually just pronouncing what he's proud of, what he's done, and that which the, the bad which he has not done, that he's proud he has not done. And he kind of comes into the temple bowed up like this. I mean, think about the gall it takes to say to God, I'm glad I'm not those people. It's pride. Only pride talks like that. Let me give you a, a one-liner, D.L. Moody. Uh, my love for one-liner does, does not just end with the ones I feel like God gives me. I love to study uh, many, many, and especially those that are, are kind of annoyed in the area of one-liners. D.L. Moody said this, Jesus sends no one away empty except those already full of themselves. That, that's like a punch right there. Think about this. Jesus says at the end of this story, he says, who goes away justified before God? Not the Pharisee, the despised tax collector. Why? Jesus is letting us know the Pharisee didn't think he had need for justification. The word justified means declared not guilty. The Pharisee didn't think he had done anything to be found guilty. So there was no, no reason for God in his eyes to justify him, to declare him not guilty. Whereas the despised tax collector beats his chest, a, a sign of public lament and sorrow, and says, please God, have mercy on me, for I am a wretched sinner. Can you even imagine what the church would look like if we talked more like the tax collector than the Pharisee? The problem is self-righteousness never lets us talk like the tax collector. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Why does God oppose the proud? Because the proud oppose God. When I'm most proud, I'm most convinced I have little need for God. That's how pride thinks. Well, God, I'd love for you to do this for me, but even if you don't, I'm going to make it happen. 
what am I saying? Oh, Lord, I don't need you to do this. I'll figure it out myself. I got this. Okay, that's how pride talks. Max Lucado said this about pride. Pride is the hidden reef which shipwrecks the soul. That's nasty. Unfortunately, I have wrecked my ship too many times on the reef of pride. Here's the third question. What percentage of the time do you think you're more important than others? What percentage of the time do you think you're more important than others, that your needs matter more than theirs, that your opinion matters more than theirs? Fill in the blank however you want. What percentage of the time do you think you are more important than others? I'm already learning. The nine o'clock is a, a crowd of self-loathers. They, they were like off the charts on all of them. It's good. It's good to see the balance of where we are as a church. What percentage of the time do you think you're more important than others? Here's the next symptom of self-righteousness. The self-righteous are critical, not compassionate. When we are self-righteous, we are critical, not compassionate. I'm thankful I'm not those other guys. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. Critical. Here's one of my concerns about what's happening in the church right now. I have never seen more criticism within the family, from the family, publicly outside of the family gathering. I've never seen this much. And I just want to remind us all, as the family of God, do you think anybody wants to be a part of a family? Think about every unbelieving friend you have. Do you think any of your friends who do not yet know Jesus want to be a part of a family that's constantly bickering and criticizing one another publicly? Remember, the church is the bride of whom? The bride of Christ. So when I get on Instagram and I say something like, does anybody else know where a church is meeting? Because my church doesn't have enough faith to open its doors during this crisis. And sometimes it's even more passive aggressive than that. It's merely just, anybody know any other churches that are meeting? Mine isn't. Do you have to say that? Why not just get online and look yourself? Because you want to be passive aggressive. I get it. And I know I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to the person sitting next to you. Incidentally, one of the ways I know I'm being self-righteous, when I think it's for someone else, not me. That could never be for me. And let me just help you understand what public criticism. Now, I am not saying that the church should not own its mistakes. Listen, I've sat in the seat and said before, a week later, for those of you who were in the Saturday night service last weekend, I preached a message God didn't give me, and it wasn't anointed, and it wasn't blessed. It was a message from my flesh, and I changed it on Sunday, and I'm sorry you had to see that. Okay, that's not fun. But when I'm wrong, I've got to be able to confess it. 
So I'm not saying that as a church, we should hide our mistakes. Please don't hear that. What I'm saying is, if you are publicly criticizing before you privately confront, you are wrong. You're wrong. And let me just help you understand just how crazy it is to behave this way. Remember, the church is the bride of... Okay, what would it be like if my wife made a mistake later today and I got on social media and I said, can somebody else tell me of another good woman? Because this one I presently got has clearly lost her mind. Let me tell you the mistake she just made. Who makes that kind of mistake? Can anyone suggest another woman for me to marry? Why is it so easy for you to see that it's wrong for me to do with my bride? But we're seeing so many inside the family going so public with their criticism. You're going to have to show me that in Scripture, where it says that you should publicly criticize before you privately confront in love. If I'm off, send me an email and tell me. And it isn't because I can't handle your public criticism. That has nothing to do with it. I don't even see what you say on social media. I hate social media. It's not about how I feel. It's about what's right. If I shouldn't do it for my spouse, I'm just going to submit this to all of us, we should not do it with his bride. It is easier to criticize a thousand sins of others than it is to kill one of your own. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I love how the message translates this. Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself, Preston. Every single time I criticize someone, I condemn myself. It takes one to know one, Preston. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. But God isn't so easily diverted, Preston. He sees right through all such smoke screens and holds you to what you've done. Here's the problem. A self-righteous person will always have someone they can look down upon. It's part of the crutch. It's part of the exaltation. You don't feel exalted if you don't put people beneath you. See, the problem, let's just talk about the racism problem in our country and around the world. Racial superiority, just, just think about this for a minute, right here. The problem isn't just that, that you or I would look at someone and say, you're less than me. The greater problem for a member of the family of God is that we would look at anyone and think we are better than them. Not just that they are less or worse than us. Here's the question. What percentage of the time are you critical of others? Don't count the hours you sleep. That's like a free eight hours of not criticizing. The hours you're awake, what percentage of those hours are you critical of others? Way to go. I'm telling you, I feel like if we'll embrace this as a church, keep answering. If we'll embrace this humbly, I think we're going to see the damn break that has been staring us in the face for years. Not because we're a bad church, 
but because we look at Christ and we are reminded, oh, I need you so badly. We're going to talk more about that next week. Criticism of others. Here's the next symptom. The self-righteous condemn sinners. The self-righteous condemn sinners. There's a word often associated with this behavior. It's the word legalism. Legalism is as bad as paganism because neither have concern for God's heart. When we are legalistic, we are prone to not just being critical of others, but of condemning others. Not just their sin, but condemning the sinners. This is what the Pharisee does. The Pharisee looks and says, Wow! I'm certainly not like that tax collector. He's condemning him publicly. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Here's how you know you're not self-righteous. You sound a little bit like the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. Here's a word you can take to heart and depend on. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. To condemn them or to save them? Well, pressing to judge the world, yes. Yes, he came to save, not to condemn. His heart is to save, not to condemn. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul says, I am proof. Public sinner number one, the message translation translates it. Of someone who could never have made it apart from sheer mercy. You know, one of the most amazing things about our understanding of the grace and mercy of God when we are most understanding of our personal need for God's grace and God's mercy, we are most free to extend it to everyone around us. But it's only when I remember I desperately need the grace of God. I need him to extend to me what I am undeserving of. And then the mercy of God, I need God to not give me what I actually deserve based on my bad decisions and all of my sin. Part of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is God trades, if we accept what Jesus did for us, he trades the righteousness of Christ for my unrighteousness. What a dangerous place it is when we think we are not as bad as everyone else, and here's why that's so bad. When I disassociate myself from the sinful nature of humanity, I step out from underneath the blood which was shed for it. That's why Jesus says about the Pharisee, the Pharisee went away unjustified, because he stepped out. He disassociated himself from the fallen nature of humanity. Scripture even says, Hey, anyone who says you're not a sinner anymore, even speaking to believers, is a liar. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And if you're a believer in Jesus, so are you. I'm a sinner. Can you imagine what our churches would look like if we talked more like the tax collector than the Pharisee? The Pharisee condemned the sinner. And the sinner, the tax collector, fell on his face. 
couldn't even look up to heaven and say, God, please forgive me. Please show me mercy, for I am a sinner. Here's the question. What percentage of the time do you look down upon the sin of others? What percentage of the time do you personally look down upon the sin of others? Remember, let the Holy Spirit answer this question. Not your best intentions. Don't judge based on your best day. Judge on all of the days. Here's the next, the sixth symptom. The self-righteous reject correction. I see this one a lot, unfortunately. The self-righteous reject correction. Why? Self-righteous people never receive correction because when you think you're always right, you never need to be corrected. That's why they reject correction. Because they're so convinced they're always right. Preston, I don't need to be corrected. I'm right and you're wrong. Okay, question, and this is for everybody watching online. Have you always been right? If you have, please just put your hand up. Okay, maybe somebody online, nobody live in this room has ever always been right, right? Okay, then if we're never always right, is it possible that there are some moments when we think we're right, when we're actually wrong? Okay, my wife is in this service, and so I'm letting the cat out of the bag. But there's something you have to know about me. When I get in this self-righteous mode, and we'll get into a, a discussion. I'll just use a silly example. Maybe you're watching a movie with your spouse, and you say something like, man, I just love James Earl Jones. And your spouse goes, that's not James Earl Jones. That's Morgan Freeman. Those two don't look at all alike. No, 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 babe, that's James Earl Jones. Like, close your eyes, Darth Vader. Listen, it's James Earl Jones. Babe, that is Morgan Freeman. Okay, here's what you need to know about me. There are times from time to time. Don't tell her this. When I realize I'm wrong. But I can't let her know that. So I stick to my guns. And I even double down. She's laughing on the inside hysterically right now. And so I'll start Googling younger pictures of a thinner James Earl Jones. See, babe, look, 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 it's James Earl Jones. No, 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 babe, that's Morgan Freeman. Okay, why is it that we always fight, not over what is right, but why do we fight so much over being right? You know one of the things I've learned in 42 years of living on this earth? That being right isn't always awesome. That sometimes I learn a lot more when I'm wrong. But I have to be willing to humble myself. See, you can't learn when you're always right. When we're self-righteous, we reject correction. Just listen to what Scripture says about me. I won't say this about you, but it says about me and you. 
when we reject correction. Proverbs 15, verse 32. Those who refuse correction hate themselves. But those who accept correction gain understanding. They learn. Proverbs 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. This is really black and white. But whoever hates correction is stupid. I didn't write it. I just read it. Whoever hates correction is stupid. Preston, when you hate correction, you are stupid. You are a foolish man. Why? Because you can't learn what I'm trying to teach you, says the Lord. Here's the question. This is a tough one for some of us to answer, especially me. What percentage of the time do you think you're right? That was off the charts on this one. I put 140. What percentage of the time do you think you're right? Want to be funny when we get to heaven and we get to watch earthly TiVo and see how many times we were wrong when we thought we were right? I'm not, not too excited about watching that game film with Jesus. Preston, let me show you how many times, if we're to be precise, 19,734,622 times you thought you were right and you were actually wrong. The more I think I'm right, the less open I am to correction. But we have to remember, none of us are always right. We're not the teacher, we're the pupil. Here's the last symptom of self-righteousness. The self-righteous repel others. The self-righteous repel others. I'm going to read this one to you back in Luke 18 instead of just refer to it. Verse 11. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. The Pharisee stood all by himself. You see, self-righteousness kills community because it's too busy loving itself to love any other. Self-righteousness is so all about me that I don't even fully see you. And when I don't fully see you, I'm not actually fully loving you. And I know it takes a, a major measure of self-awareness to know if we're repelling others. But I just wonder if part of the church's biggest problem is we're repelling the very people God sent us to reach. Because in our own security, we're trying to prop ourselves up knowing we're not all that. We're pushing people away. The Pharisee stood by himself. When you think about all the different isms on the earth today, racism, sexism, ageism, elitism, think about them all, all of the isms. The bottom line of every ism is self-righteous separation from others. I, I know you know this, but I just want to remind if, if no one else, just me. That's not how God's family behaves. We don't run away from everyone. We run to them. And why do we run to them? Because our God runs after us. So we don't isolate. 
We don't repel the lost. Preston, how can two walk together unless they are in agreement? I can't walk in agreement with unbelievers. I didn't say you needed to agree on everything that they do. But I do want to remind you, Jesus didn't agree with everything you did, but he still put it all on himself. I'm finding myself getting so frustrated right now at times, looking at what I feel is the opportunity of a lifetime staring the church in the face. But if we're not careful, we will walk so religiously with an air of self-righteousness that we will repel the very people that want the love of God the most right now. Can you not see it? It's everywhere. Money can't do what Jesus can do right now. A more cush job can't do what Jesus can do right now. There are some things that need to be done in the lives of people all over the world, which only Jesus can do. But if the church is driving those people away, repelling them, how sad would it be if the Capital C Church was in part to blame for getting in the way of an unbridled move of God on the earth similar to that of the first century church when God was adding to their number daily. Here's the last question. What percentage of your week do lost people want to spend time with you? I know that's a tough one. See, I wanted to make it hard for you to say, I don't repel people. This is another way to see it. What percentage of our week to people who do not yet know Jesus, hit us up and they want to be around us. Hey, can we grab coffee? Can we get together? Love it. Way to be honest, way to shoot straight. I believe we are staring the opportunity of our lifetime in the face. There are two ways to look at what's going on right now. Well, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Just throw your hands up and say, I'm done with it. This is ridiculous. Or we can quietly celebrate as it gets worse and worse and worse because where does man turn? Where does a woman turn? When things get so bad, they don't know what to do. They're willing to turn anywhere. And that's where the family of God should be primely positioned to stand and say, I know what you're looking for, and I can introduce you to him. He's got a name. His name is Jesus. And instead of fighting in the midst of this family of God, we die to ourselves. We lay it all down. And we kill that self-righteous spirit that the enemy is using to keep people separated from God. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.